Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright. Welcome to Bright Online Church this morning. Uh, wherever you are joining us, probably from your lounge room, I'm assuming, it is great that you are here with us today on this very special day. We just wanted to say a, a big happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there uh, today. And no doubt today is looking very different than other years. Um, whether you are you know, sitting in your lounge room, maybe you're going to be doing some FaceTime calls or Zoom calls to your, to your mom or grandparents later, on today. Uh, maybe you have kids that you know are with you in your home and maybe they've made you breakfast in bed this morning. If they have, maybe you're lucky, maybe you're not. I don't know. If you're like me, you don't want to have breakfast in bed because you do not want to have the crumbs in there later. But um, however it is that you are celebrating, I hope that all the mums feel loved and valued and special today on your special day. Now when I think back to Mother's Day, when I was a kid, it's kind of funny, you know, the things that kind of stick in our minds. Um, you know, I would make breakfast for my mum in bed. She seemed to like that. She would, my dad would always make her a cup of tea every morning. So we would do that for our Mother's Day as well. But we would add jam on toast because that always seemed to be what she would like to have um, for breakfast on Mother's Day. Um, and we would always go to school, you know, in the week leading up to Mother's Day and there would be the Mother's Day stall. Now, I'm sh assuming that most of you have had some kind of experience with a Mother's Day stall at some point, whether you've been on the receiving end of a gift from a Mother's Day stall or whether you've been purchasing a gift from a Mother's Day stall. Now, as a mum myself, you know, we have three kids. I've now had the privilege of being on both ends of that myself. Now, our kids, um, they're actually pretty good, you know. I must say that Mother's Day stalls have come a really long way in the last, you know, however many years since I was a kid. And I actually kind of get things now that I would actually genuinely use. Um, but when I was a kid, I don't know if that would be the same thing that my mum would say the things that I would buy for her. Now, I know that for me personally, the things that I love the most are the things that my kids make. Um, so I love the cards that they give, the thoughtful words they do, the drawings they make. It doesn't matter how good or bad the drawings are. I just love the effort they've put into it. But my mom, I don't know if I ever did that for her. I don't know. I'm not a very creative type person. But what I would buy for her, kind of almost for a number of years in a row, were kind of like these little ornaments. Um, I don't know what they were made out of. They're kind of like this... I don't know, porcelain, I guess. I don't know, kind of rough pink in colour. I don't know, it was kind of weird. Um, and every year she'd open them and she'd say thank you. And she would, you know, put them on display and I would be the one dusting every week and I would have to dust around these ornaments. Um, and, you know, she was always thankful. And I guess at the heart of everything, when we give these gifts and when my mum would receive them and even when I received them from my kids, was this idea that it's the thought that counts. Right? When we give gifts to people and receive them, it really is, it's the thought that counts. And that's kind of the idea that started Mother's Day in the first place. Now in Australia, Mother's Day started in 1924, um, just after World War One ended. And it started uh, because someone by the name of Janet Hayden in Sydney would be visiting a friend um, in a hospital and she'd be seeing all these women there 
Um, and I guess she had a heart for them. You know, a lot of people were, a lot of women were widowed. Um, a lot of mothers had lost their um, sons um, to the war. Um, some women, just because of the nature of the war and the time, um, never had the opportunity to get married um, during that time. And so um, for her, um, it was one out of concern for those people that were lonely. And so she really campaigned for local schools and businesses to give donations to be able to give to these women. And so um, Mother's Day really started as a promotion for peace and support. But now we all celebrate. We all celebrate our mums um, in our lives. And it kind of got me thinking about you know, what it is that mothers have gone through since then, you know, like in the last 100 years, all the things that mums have had to go through. Um, every major crisis has had mothers raise children and lead their families. Now, if I think back, you know, to just over 100 years ago, that was the end of the First World War right? And since then, we've had World War II, we've had Vietnam War, we've had Korean Wars, we've had terrorism and ISIS, and I don't know, maybe you woke up to World War III this morning, I don't know, but we've had lots of wars, right? We've had many sicknesses and diseases, okay? We had the Spanish flu, which was, you know, ended uh, actually 100 years ago in 2020, I mean, 1920, sorry. Um, that they are estimating wiped out about 50 million people worldwide. Now, they're saying that they killed actually more people than the World War did, right? So the Spanish flu, polio in the 1940s and 50s was crippling families. Um, in some communities, parents were too scared to let their kids go outside and play for fear of them catching polio from other children. Can you imagine like being so fearful that you couldn't let your kids go out and play with other children? Um, there was the Asian flu in 1957, and the list goes on. We've had SARS, MERS, swine flu, bird flu, mad cow disease. We've had Ebola, all kinds of diseases everywhere. Like, they're just everywhere, right? Um, let's not forget about digital disease, okay? If you are below the age of, I don't know, 25 or 30, you might not even know what I'm talking about. You might be like, are you talking about viruses? No, I'm not talking about viruses. I am talking about the Y2K bug, right? Now, I don't know what people who were developing computers back, you know, in the 90s and 80s and everything, or even earlier than that, were thinking, um, but apparently they didn't occur to them that we might actually make it to the year 2000, because when they made all their programming, um, they didn't think what might happen when we reached December 31st. Um, in 1999 and the clock ticked over from 11.59pm and 59 seconds to the year 2000. So billion, um, billions and billions of dollars were spent by companies and corporations trying to solve this Y2K problem. What is going to happen if all of our computers reset to the year 1900? Okay, this was a real thing. Thankfully, that didn't happen. And all of you now that are watching on your devices are very thankful for that uh, because you can, you know, have access to everything now. But Y2K, that was a real thing, people. Um, we also have financial crisis, right? So we've had, you know, um, the Great Depression. You know, that, that was a pretty big deal for, for a lot of families, um, you know, earlier last decade. Wall Street crash in the 80s and 90s, you know, our families were dealing with home loan interest rates that are up at 17%. Can you even imagine having a home loan at an interest rate of 17%? Um, and then, you know, most recently we, we've had our global financial crisis. 
you know, that's our history. We've also seen, you know, obviously a lot of positive things as well. We've seen, you know, developments in, you know, hygiene practices, developments, you know, in the fields of medicine and technology. Um, you know, I'm very thankful that my toilet is no longer outside in my backyard and I, and I have sewage at my home. I'm thankful that I have a fridge with a freezer in my house, you know, that can keep my food fresh, um, that I, I don't have to worry about getting sick when I take my food out to prepare it for my family. But many of the mothers that live through these times, they didn't have that. I'm glad we celebrate our mums. They have made it through so much, you know, even just in the last 100 years. And my point is that none of them were in control of their circumstances. None of them. Everything that I've mentioned has been completely out of our control. We don't control the diseases that are going around. We don't control the finances of the world. Um, you know, we don't control the world's wars of the world. We don't, we don't control these things. Um, the reality is we don't actually need to be in control. We don't need to be. We just need to know the one who is. We don't need to have control over everything to have peace. We just need to know the one that can give us peace. And the only one that is in control of everything and that can give us the peace that we really need is God. Life as a Christian was never promised to be free of troubles. In fact, the opposite. We need to be comfortable in the fact that not everything is going to go perfectly. But you can be assured of one thing, that no matter your circumstance, that God is with you in it. It doesn't matter what you're going through, God is there with you in your circumstance. And I just want you to be reminded today that, you know, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that lives within you. Um, he has so much power to be able to take you out of any circumstance, to be able to help you through anything that you're facing right now. And all we need to do is put our faith and our trust in the one that is in control of everything. We celebrate one day a year for our mothers. But you need to know in Jewish culture, they actually honoured their mothers one day in a week. Um, and they, they would do that in their homes. Now, it's not just... Uh, a celebration of what they would do for their families. It was actually a celebration of who they were. And Jesus's family would actually do this. And so I'm going to tell you about, you know, on the Sabbath, uh, what these families would actually do. And so um, they would all gather around a table and they would light a candle. And the candle on the table was there to represent God's presence. It was to, to honour God to, to show that he was there, part of their family. Um, the husband would come alongside um, the wife and he would put his arm around her and hold her and just, just hug her. And that, that was um, symbolic of just honouring the mother, but also just to let go of everything that had been happening in the week. Um, next, they would share a meal. And this wasn't just like a, a normal meal. It was, it was, you know, described as, you know, quite a, a big meal for the family, but the mum or the, the, you know, the woman in the house would actually not do any of the preparation for the meal. The husband actually do all of that preparation. How amazing does this sound, by the way? I'm just thinking about this, you know, if I'm at home, I've got a candle, candle's lit, you know, my husband's there, he's got his arm around me, he's prepared this beautiful meal for me. Um, next says you present a gift, the husband would present a gift to the wife. Now, it didn't have to be anything, you know, huge or extravagant, something small. Like, I, you know, I think this sounds pretty good, you know, it's pretty nice what what a thing to model to children by the way um, next though I'm not too sure about this part the husband would sing a song to the wife 
that I don't know about that. Like it sounds nice in theory. I don't know. It depends on um, how well your husband sings, I guess. I don't know. If they've had singing lessons, maybe I'll allow it. But um, you know, they'd sing. They'd also get their children involved in in the singing as well. So that's that's kind of cute. I, I kind of like that. You know. But um, it's this next part though that I really wasn't sure about. Um, and so, you know, you've got, just imagine you've got this really nice setup, okay, you're all sitting there, it's a really, really nice moment, you're, you're all singing together, it's a beautiful moment. And then it says that they would read Proverbs 31, 10 to 31 over her. I read that and I was like, hang on a second, this sounds really perfect actually, up until this point. I don't know if you've read Proverbs 31 before. And if you haven't, um, it, it kind of goes through, and we are going to read in just a moment, but guys, goes through this picture of this ideal woman, right? And if you've read it, you might have felt the expectation of this thing that you, you just can't live up to. Um, and I was just, you know, when I read it, I just think, you know, what woman can live up to this person who is described um, in this passage of Scripture? Um, and I just think, you know, like, are you kidding? Like, this is a weekly reminder of this Scripture. Um, you know, who needs the pressure of, you know, this ideal virtuous woman, right? And so we're going to go and read that together. So Proverbs 31, uh, 10 to 31. And it says, An excellent wife... Who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm and all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant and brings her food from afar. And I'm thinking up to this point, this is pretty good. You know, I'm like... Yeah, I can be faithful. I'm happy to contribute to the family. Look, I'm willing to travel for good food, right? I don't know what your family's been like recently. I've had to travel sometimes to multiple supermarkets just to find some food. You know, like I've had to travel just to get pasta, just to be able to make some meals for food, you know, in weeks past because I haven't been able to get all my ingredients. So I'm, I'm willing to do all of this so far. This is all sounding pretty good, right? Next, verse 15 says, She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. Now, this is where it kind of starts to come a bit unstuck for me because I'm like, I really like my sleep and I don't know about you getting up while it's still night. I'm like, mm, I don't know, I don't know. I'm, I'm, willing to, I'm willing to kind of move on that point, okay? Then it says, it goes on and says, she considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hand, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. And I think, who buys a field and then plants a vineyard? And no, like, of course, she's going to be strong. Like, can you imagine the amount of effort and work it would take to actually go into building, like planting a vineyard, like digging up all the dirt? Of course, she's going to be strong. I'm like, oh, my gosh, who is this woman? Um, she perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. Now, I didn't know what a distaff was. I've never heard of that before. So I had to look it up. Now, the distaff and the spindle are tools that are used to turn wool into thread. And so she would actually use these things to, to make clothes, right? So imagine this woman, 
okay? So she's bought this land. She plants a vineyard during the day. Um, at night time, I can only imagine that's when she's spinning her wool or using the wool to spin her threads to make clothes. Um, so she's doing that at night and then she gets up while it's still night to then prepare food. And I'm thinking, when is this woman sleeping? I don't, I don't know when she gets a chance to sleep. Um, Verse 20 goes on to say, She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household and for all her household are clothed in scarlet. Now, scarlet actually is double thick clothing. So she's not only making good clothes, she is making like exceptional clothes. Like they are double thickness, not just like ordinary. Like she goes the extra mile. Um, she makes bed coverings for herself and her clothing is fine linen and purple. Bed coverings. Now, when was the last time you made bed coverings? Like, I struggle to sew on a button. Like, <laughs> I'm not making bed coverings. I can guarantee you that. Um, her husband is known at the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchants. So not only is her clothing good enough for herself and her family, but it's actually good quality. She can sell it to other people and other people actually want to buy it. I, I just think she is incredible. Verse 25. Strength and dignity are her clothing and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat bread of idleness. And they, those three verses there tell us that she is confident, she is wise, she is kind, she's worthy of honour and respect. And just in case you didn't get it, it also that last line there tells us that she's not lazy. Okay, So if you didn't get up to this point, she's not a lazy lady. Um, verse 28, her children rise up and call her blessed and why wouldn't they? Um, her husband also and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is in vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. My gosh, isn't she just the picture of just an amazing, an amazing woman? Like she seems like someone who has absolutely everything together and she can do it all. Like this woman, she, she's got everything going for her. Now, what you need to understand is... Um, in Jewish culture, these verses were read aloud on the Sabbath as a celebration over women. Okay, it was written, read as a celebration. It was not meant to be read as condemnation. Now, I don't know if you're like me. I've often read this passage of scripture and felt completely condemned by reading. The more that I read through that and going, oh my gosh, I don't measure up here. I don't do that. Gosh, I can't sew on a button. I don't do that. I don't like getting up in the morning. Like, you know, I'm reading through all these things going, I, I don't think I could ever do this. But that's actually not the purpose of this scripture at all. It wasn't to be condemning what they aren't. It wasn't to condemn women for what they weren't doing. Instead, it was to celebrate who they are. It was to celebrate who women are. And it was to celebrate who they are in their own unique expressions of living out the virtues that are detailed in this passage of Scripture and the celebration of who she is. So who the woman in the house is, that's who it was meant to be. Isn't that just beautiful? You know, I just like I just want to challenge you ladies, you know, next time you're reading that passage of scripture, and if you're like me, whenever anyone mentions it, you kind of go, oh gosh, I don't even want to look at it. Um, you know, I, I've actually really been challenged to read it with fresh eyes. Don't read it 
from a position of condemnation, but read it from that attitude of being like, okay, I'm going to celebrate who it is that I am and who it is that God has made me to be. Who am I? In, in this passage of scripture. Who is it that God has made me to be? Um, and I, I just think it's just it's a great way um, to be able to celebrate um, who, who women are. And so whether you celebrate once a year, like we do in Australia, um, or whether you celebrate once a week, like they did in um, Jewish culture, uh, we can all agree that none of us would be here without our mums. We all have that in common. And Mother's Day, we use to honour our mums. And so honour is not just a nice idea. Um, it's what God said he wants us to do. Ephesians 6.2 says to honour your father and mother. Now this is actually uh, a direct quote from a scripture in Exodus 20.12, uh, which was part of our Ten Commandments that was given uh, from God to Moses to the Israelites. And uh, when we look at the word honour and we try and translate translate it into um, English, the, the best word that we really have for honour is the word weight. And so when we honour someone and they speak to us, then we take whatever they say with weight. We hold that in high regard. And so, um, you know, when we are honouring our mums, we're holding them in great weight. We're holding them in high regard. And we're honouring them because they are amazing. They, they do amazing things for all of us. Um, and it's a role that can often feel thankless. Um, it can involve wearing many hats. Um, I don't know about you mums out there, sometimes I feel like I'm wearing multiple hats all at the one time sometimes, juggling lots and lots of different things, trying to make everything work. Um, and you know, sometimes those things can come with their pressures. Now, the pressure, that can come from being a mum can start even before like your child is even born. Now, if you are a mum, you may have experienced some of these. Um, you know, before we had our children, I heard many things um, from lots of people that were well-meaning wanting to give advice. But, um, you know, before they were born, you know, different pieces of advice like, you know, what to eat and what not to eat. Okay, that's a pretty common one. Um, how to sleep, how not to sleep. Um, people really love to give you advice about birth okay, how to do it, what you should do, what you shouldn't. And I was like, okay, fine, whatever. I think I'll worry about when I get there. Um, but then you actually have the baby, right? And this is really where everything kind of starts in terms of the advice giving. Now, I've kind of written down a few things that were kind of some of my favourites. Um, maybe you've heard them before, maybe you've given them. And can I just preface this and just say, the people that give advice do it with the right heart. So, um, you know, I'm not trying to make fun of anyone, but it's just kind of funny how people feel like they can just tell you whatever they want, but don't necessarily um, think about the ramifications of the person that's receiving it. So the first piece is, uh, the baby should sleep in your room, but not in your bed. Okay, we definitely failed at that one. I can tell you that right now. Uh, all well intentions of not having them in our bed, but it definitely happened from time to time. Um, you should sleep when your baby sleeps, but you should also make sure that you're eating and bathing. Now, I don't know, um, like, they, I, like I might be superwoman, right? Um, but if I'm sleeping, I don't know how I can eat and bathe at the same time. So I don't really quite know how that piece of advice is meant to play out. But if you've been able to master that, let me know, because uh, I don't really quite know how that one was meant to work. Um, then, of course, there is the breastfeeding and bottle feeding debate. Okay, breast is best. Okay, maybe. I don't know, unless you can't breastfeed. Um, in my experience, I found that a fed baby was the best, um, and that's the approach that I took. Um, if you go back to work, 
don't you love your baby? That's what they say. Um, you know, if you uh, do go back, or if you don't go back to work, sorry, they say, don't you want to do something for yourself? <laughs> okay, well, can't win either way. Um, if you put your kids in daycare, um, then you come with all these kind of guilt, you know. Oh, don't don't you think your your child needs you? Don't you think you're the best person for your child? Oh gosh, you know, like you really, honestly, you really can't win sometimes. Um, you know, my kids have been fine in daycare. They're they're actually okay. Um, I like this one. Make sure you entertain your baby every second of every day, but don't think about screen time until they're at least two years old. Okay, and even then, if you let them watch even 10 minutes of television, you are a lazy parent. Okay, um, next one. Nutrition is important. Okay, I think we'd all agree. So you need to make sure that your meals are wholesome and takeaway is not an option. Okay, because we all know that takeaway food isn't good for you and it's definitely not going to be good for your child. Um, let's not forget about the home, okay, because uh, we all live in show homes, so that needs to be spotless too. So um, while you're um, bathing and eating, while you're meant to be sleeping, while your baby's sleeping, you should also be cleaning your home. Um, and baking, because you're going to have people that are going to come around to your house, so make sure you've got something to give them, because it would be pretty embarrassing if someone showed up and you didn't have anything to offer them. Now, if you're not feeling the pressure already, um, just look at what other amazing mums are doing on Instagram. You know, you can see their amazing children and all the things that they were doing, you know, these mums that are always present and um, that are always prepared and always have absolutely everything together. Some days, you know what, I would have just celebrated if I had gotten out of bed, if I'd put some clothes on and maybe had something to eat and it was like 3pm. If I was able to do like those three things, I was like, you know what, I have achieved something with my day. You know what, sometimes in holidays, I even like to take that approach sometimes. I like to have a bit of a pyjama day. But you know what, like it can be exhausting. It can be hard sometimes. Um, you know, I don't know what you think. Does this sound stressful to you? Um, I know from speaking to a lot of my friends, um, you know, a lot of us can go through times where we feel like this. Um, some of us feel like this a lot of the time. Even those of us that have grown kids, you know, might not even have ba little babies anymore. Some of us have grown kids and still um, are feeling this way. And, you know, a recent study from Barna found that the majority of women, so 59%, are dissatisfied with their balance between work and home life. And among mums with children still at home, this rate was increased to 62%. Eight in 10 mums, so 80% feel overwhelmed by stress compared to 72% among all women. Seven out of 10, so 70% say that they do not get enough rest compared to 58% of all women. And this was all before we were all thrown into working from home, um, homeschooling or uh, what do they call it, remote learning, whatever it is that you want to call it, right? Like this, this study was done before all of that, okay? So I can only imagine that these numbers are all now slightly amplified, right? No wonder all us women and mothers are feeling dissatisfied, stressed and tired if we're trying to live up to all of these expectations that I've been talking about, whether they're self-imposed or otherwise. So I just want to ask, where does this come from? Because it doesn't come from God. Consider this. Jesus was able to fulfill the law, but he couldn't meet people's expectations. If you try and do everything that everyone says all the time, eventually you're going to fail. 
right? Can you imagine if Jesus had tried to please everyone with all of their expectations? Just think about it for a moment. Imagine like how ridiculous that would have been for Jesus to try and meet every single person's expectations of what they thought that they thought he was going to do and who he was going to be. Like, you know, like it would have been a nightmare. Um, why do we do it? We need to stop comparing ourselves to everyone else and focus on who God has made us to be. You don't need to be a mother to experience this. It's easy to experience this. doesn't matter if you're a child, a teen, a young adult, um, an older person, doesn't matter if you're a man or a lady. Um, We can all experience this. Um, So the question is, what is it that God has graced you with? Stop worrying about what everybody else is doing. Stop comparing yourself to everybody else. What is it that God has graced you with? He doesn't make mistakes. You know, the Bible tells us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. You know, God put a lot of thought into you. He put a lot of thought into the gifts that you're going to have. He put a lot of thought into the type of person you're going to be. Like, he, he really thought long and hard about you and the kind of person that you are. And who you are is really important to him. And he loves you so much. You know, God doesn't love you because of who you are. What I mean by that is it's not like he loves you if you're perfect, right? If you can have like the, the perfect person, he's not going to love that person any more than somebody else. He's not going to love you if you're um, the best at your job. He's not going to love you anymore if you're able to execute everything um, to 100%. He's not going to love you anymore if you're the perfect parent, whatever that looks like. Um, and, you know, this is the heart of the gospel message, you know, that Jesus came and died for us, that he loves us. No matter what we have done, if we come to him, he loves us. And we don't need to do anything to live up to any type of expectation for him. He just loves us because of who we are. We don't need to do anything to measure up to that. And I think sometimes when we feel overwhelmed, it's because we've taken off our eyes of the one whose opinion matters the most. We need to make sure that You're living for God. You need to keep your eyes on him. Now, the Apostle Paul said in a letter to the Galatians, in chapter 1, verse 10, For am I now seeking the approval of man or God? Or am I trying to please man? If I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. He would open his letters this way, I, Paul, a servant of Christ, called by God to be an apostle. I just, I just love that so much. You know, like in that one statement at the start of his letters, he sums up where his security is. He tells us at the start of every letter that his security is firmly planted in God and who he is in God. Um, he tells us that he has a deep security in how God sees him. And that's why he could live for God. That's why he could achieve and do everything that he did, if you could even say he had achievements. You know, if we look in the New Testament and we look through the letters that are written in there, you know, a large percentage of them are written by Paul. I mean, you could say that he was a pretty exceptional person. Um, But I mean, like all of us, he had his flaws. I mean, he wasn't perfect either. But Paul, he was able to do great things. 
And I believe he was able to do great things because he knew who he was in God. He had his, you know, he knew, he had a deep understanding, a firm footing of who he was in God. And that's what led him to be able to do um, all that he was able to achieve. If you worry too much about what others think, don't beat yourself up about it. I have too. I still do sometimes. Okay, I think we've all been there. If we're going to be honest with ourselves from time to time, you know, don't, like, you know, sometimes we worry about what other people think, think about us. You know, particularly, um, you know, if I think about even myself, I don't necessarily worry about what other people think of me when it comes to my parenting or how I manage my, marriage, how I manage my, you know, work home balance. But I definitely feel the guilt on that. You know, I feel guilty sometimes if I haven't seen my kids as much as I want to or if I'm busy doing work and I can't, um, you know, spend as much time with them as I would like to. You know, we, we all have things like that that we feel like we can do better and we're, maybe we're not measuring up to our own expectations. Um, but we don't need to beat ourselves up about the fact that we don't feel like we're meeting some level of perfection. No one can have any kind of level of perfection. Don't fall into the trap of looking at others to determine your worth and your success. You should be looking to God for that. Don't listen to the voice that says you're doing a terrible job or you're a failure. You know, God's love for you is immeasurably bigger than your worst mistakes or anything that you've done. It really, you know, in His eyes, you're perfect. You know, Romans 8.1 says, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know, God loves you so much, irrespective of anything else, um, irrespective of how you feel you're doing, how you feel you're measuring up, how, you know, the stresses in your life right now, whatever it is you're going through, you know, God loves you so much, so much more than you, maybe you even ever know. You know, I believe that God will give you grace for the season that you're facing right now. You just need to ask. You just need to ask. You know, it's, it's all there waiting, available for you. You just need to ask. His Spirit can strengthen and guide you during the season, no matter what you're facing. It, whatever you're going through right now, maybe you feel like you can't measure up. Maybe you're feeling the pressure of other people's expectations. Maybe you feel like you are trying to attain this level of perfection that you know you're never going to get to, but you're still beating yourself up about it. If that's you, in a moment, I want to pray for you. Hey, thanks for listening to the Bright Weekly Podcast. We hope you're encouraged today and we'd love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to brightchurch.com.